In Philippians 2.1, Paul calls us to remember times when we've experienced God's mercy and compassion. If you do that, what events do you remember? How do you remember a feeling God had for you in his heart? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, so let's skip ahead to the fourth one. The NIV says tenderness. Your Bible might say affection. The Greek word there is splankna. That's that word that refers to your internal organs and your midsection. It's a word that describes emotion. The emotions of compassion and love that are so deep that you, you feel it in your stomach. Paul has already used the same word for Christ's love back in chapter 1, verse 8. Just look back at chapter 1. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection, splankna, of Christ Jesus. In Luke 178, Jesus is described as the one who would give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. That word tender, that's this word splankna. God has mercy on us, but not just mercy. He has emotional, tender, heartfelt, emotional mercy, the kind that you feel in your stomach. He says, you know how you feel it in your stomach when you, sometimes when you really love someone? He says, think that way. That's how I feel about you. When was the last time you really just enjoyed the affection of Christ? How do you do that? How do you enjoy his affection? I mean, you can't see it. How how am I supposed to know what he feels in his stomach? Well, you know it because the Bible says it. This is something you just have to believe, and not just believe, but attend to it. Pay attention to it. You have to intentionally put your, your mind on it. So much of the kindness that we receive from Christ is like the kindness that you received from your mom when you were growing up. You weren't even paying attention. You don't remember her changing your diapers. All the thousands of times when she did things for you and you weren't paying attention at all. You don't remember that stuff. You don't remember all the times she got up in the middle of the night to take care of you when you were, you know, to nurse you or whatever when you were an infant. God's gestures of love for us are just like that. The great majority of them we don't even know about. We don't even see them. But as we mature, our understanding and awareness should increase, just like with your mom. We know from Scripture that when God sends blessings into our lives, it's always He sends them because of how He feels about us. Do you understand that? That should encourage us because, because God designed us to enjoy compassion. And we enjoy being felt sorry for um, when we suffer. That's why when you were a kid, you had a scrape and you couldn't endure it. You're crying and crying. You come running in and, you, and it's like, Mama. And, 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 she, and she, what did she do? She kissed it and you're fine. How many times have you seen that? Kid comes in, he's crying, she kisses it. And then he's like happy, runs out the door to go play. What happens? Is there some medical thing? that ha- No, no. What happens? What happened was uh, he could not endure the suffering alone, but once someone who loved him knew about it and cared about it, that's all he needed. And then he's fine. God designed us to enjoy sympathy, but it takes a little effort to enjoy God's sympathy because he's not physically present. 
You know, we always want people to feel sorry for us, and so we talk about our suffering with people. But, but for God, to enjoy God's pity, we have to just take some time and sit and think about the pain that he's feeling in his stomach over my suffering. And just doing that for 10 seconds, I don't think it's going to do much. It requires some serious meditation and thought about, about uh, the passages of Scripture that talk about the depth of his love and compassion for you. Learn to enjoy that. And then Paul pairs that word with this word splankna. He pairs that word with uh, the next word, mercy. Your Bible might say compassion or sympathy, but I think mercy for this last word is the best. Uh, it's, it's the idea of a, a, a compassion that withholds severity and, and punishment uh, and, and gives instead leniency and, um, and kindness. Mercy is when God gives you what you need instead of what you deserve. That's mercy. That's the word in Romans 12.1. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So the, the therefore refers to what he had said previously in the whole first part of the book of Romans, 11 chapters. He just gives 11 chapters about the benefits of salvation. And then he calls them here the mercies of God. See, those benefits, like righteousness of Christ being credited to your account on the basis of faith, and your sins being credited to his account and being forgiven, um, being chosen, uh, being adopted as his son or daughter, being given the Holy Spirit, being freed from sin, um, uh, freed from bondage, all those benefits of salvation that he lists in those 11 chapters. Those are not just benefits of salvation. Those are mercies. And there's a difference. The word benefits says nothing about the attitude of the person giving you the benefit, right? They can give you the benefit no matter what their attitude is. But the word mercy is totally focused on God's attitude. He gave you all those benefits of salvation, not just because they're part of the benefit package of being saved, but because because what happened is he's in heaven, he looked down at you, he saw you lost and in need, and that moved his great heart with compassion. And he was flooded with feelings of compassion for you, and and, and that moved his emotions enough to to say, I'm going to give all these benefits of salvation. That's how you got all the benefits of salvation. They're mercies. And if we think about that, we can enjoy it. This is just what God's like. This is his nature. Paul uses this same word, uh, mercies, along with the first word in the list, encouragement. He uses those two words together in 2 Corinthians 1. He calls God the Father of mercy and the God of all encouragement. It's just what he's like. And his, that mercy is the basis for his forgiveness. This is why God forgives you. And this is very important for those of you who have a hard time receiving forgiveness from God. You know these people that say, oh, I can't forgive myself. When you can't forgive yourself, that's, that's, it just means you don't believe God forgave you. And, or God's forgiveness doesn't matter to you. Uh, and your own feelings matter more. But, but if you struggle with receive, feeling forgiven from God, then think about this. Think about why God forgives his people. On what basis does God forgive his people? When David committed murder and then adultery and and lying and all that, and then he finally repented of all that sin, he asked God to forgive him in Psalm 51, right? On what basis? 
I mean, because he, what, he, what he says in that psalm is, please forgive me, God, because... And then he goes on to give a reason why God should forgive him. What reason? Do you ever do that when you ask for forgiveness? God, God, please forgive me, and here's why you should forgive me. And then give him a reason? That's what David did. What was the reason? Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Did you know that the reason why God has so much mercy on you when you sin uh, and he's willing to forgive you is because he feels sorry for you in that condition? This is a staggering thought. When you rebel against God and you trample his word in the mud and, and reject his authority and dishonor his name by doing disgusting things against him... Um, You're in trouble with him. You're in deep trouble with God. And he actually feels sorry for you for the fact that you're in trouble with him. And it's on that basis of that feeling that he has mercy and forgives you when you repent. You ever notice Psalm 41.1? I said, O Lord, have mercy on me and heal me, for I have sinned against you. For... What is that? What kind of logic is that? That's the logic of grace. Forgive me because I sinned. Uh, Psalm 25, 11, you see it again. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity because, because it is great. <laughs> just, does that compute your mind? You would think it would say, in spite of the fact that my sin is great, have mercy on me anyway. That's what you'd expect, right? Or have mercy on me because my sin is little. But no, he says, have mercy on me because my sin is great. That's the logic of grace. The greater the sin, the more mercy I need. And, and here's, why, here's what makes that logical. It's logical because it's God's nature to have mercy on those who need mercy. Uh, Psalm 25, 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, because he's good and upright, therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. See? God is good, right? He's good. He's so good that it's his nature to bring about more good. He likes good, right? And so in order for God to bring about good, he's got to start with something that, that <clears throat> is not good and make it good, right? And so, so he's looking for areas to increase goodness. It's our sin that makes us so needy, so desperately needy for being made good, right? Improvement. And the needier we are, the more him having mercy on us reflects his glory. That's why it says, for his sake, in Psalm 25, 11, for his sake, he forgives us. He doesn't mainly forgive you for your sake. He mainly forgives you for his sake because it puts his mercy on display. If you think, oh, God can't forgive this because the sin is so big, you're just backwards. The bigger the sin, the greater it glorifies God when he forgives it. So when you have trouble believing that God really forgave you, it's probably because you've forgotten why God forgives people. He does it for his sake. And the greater the sin, the deeper the feelings of mercy that he has for you. And he's eager to forgive. Because the more evil the sin, the more it glorifies him when he forgives it. Learn to... Enjoy forgiveness. If you constantly doubt God's forgiveness, folks, that's not humility. That's just unbelief. 
And one thing that really helps is uh, to learn how to discern when forgiveness comes. Don't just ask God, God, please forgive me, and then walk away saying, I hope that worked. Stay with it until you know it worked, until you know that things are just perfectly good between you and God. Stay with it until you know things are reconciled between you and God. That's what the prophet Micah did when he sinned. I love this, Micah 7, 8. He says, Micah sinned, and he's, and he's, he's like, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. And he will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. So, so Micah could tell. He could tell. He says, right now, it hasn't happened yet. I've repented, but the forgiveness hasn't quite happened yet. I'm still in the darkness. I haven't received the fullness of that forgiveness. I haven't received the full reconciliation of, of intimacy with God yet. He's still displeased with me, so I will wait. I will wait. I'll just keep seeking that. But he also said, there is no doubt in my mind that God, it's going to happen. God is going to plead my case. He's going to be come over my side, plead my case, and bring me back into the light, and then the discipline will be over. It'll be all over. And that's what I'm looking for. And enemy, you don't mock me, because I guarantee this is going to happen. He could tell when he was still in the darkness with God, and he could tell when he was back out into the light. Learn how to do that. Learn how to do that. After you sin then there's, it's appropriate for you to be broken, right? There's the appropriate, it might be appropriate for you to follow James 4. Wash your hands, you sinners. You, you purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. There's a, that's appropriate after you sin. And, and then you're, when you're in that gloom and that darkness... That's when you pray the prayer of Psalm 51, 8, that David, like David pray, prayed when he was, when he was repenting. He said, let me hear joy and gladness. I'm in the darkness now, Lord. I'm like Micah. I'm in James 4. I'm in the gloom. I'm in the darkness. I'm crushed. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Okay, God, I'm crushed now. Now give me the joy back. And God answers that prayer, and then the joy of salvation returns. And you can sense that by the gestures of love that God gives you. You can enjoy food again. When you were crushed, you couldn't, and now you can. The sunset is especially beautiful to you. The, the cool breeze puts you in a good mood. Before, the cool breeze didn't do anything. And, and, and God restores your ability to enjoy his gifts. Those are, one of, those are some of the indications that the discipline is over, and you're back out into the light. And everything's forgiven, and there's nothing between you and God anymore. We need to learn to interpret those things as for what they are. Pay close attention to all that because that, that's what will enable you to, to enjoy God's mercy, to feel it. And feeling the mercy and love and tenderness of God that is spoken of in Scripture is critical. It's crucial because that's our motivation for selfless love that he's going to call us to and the unity in the church that he's going to call us to in the next verse. And if you don't have that motivation, you're never going to succeed in the rest of chapter 2. In the last episode, I talked about how to use your imagination to make truths about God more real in your heart so they touch your emotions. 
I urged you to imagine God's nearness and favor. Try that again today and tomorrow by imagining God's compassion. Think about what Paul's saying here. If you have ever experienced God's compassion, then pursue unity. Recalling your experiences of God's compassion, that's supposed to drive your behavior. But how can you recall God's compassion? How can you remember a feeling God had in his heart toward you? There's no way to remember it unless you experience it. And the only way to experience a feeling God has in his heart is to imagine to the point where God's feelings start to move your feelings. If all you do is affirm that it's true, yes, God does indeed feel compassion for me, then the best you can do is remember the fact that it's true. But remembering a bare fact isn't going to motivate your behavior anywhere near as much as recalling an experience in which you felt comforted by using imagination to show your soul the reality of God's compassion. Be creative. Don't let laziness make you say, oh, I don't know how to imagine that, and then immediately give up. Push yourself. Stretch your mind to grasp his love. Father, you are Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. When I'm in pain, it hurts you like when I see my children in pain. When it's hard for me to get out of bed, or it's the middle of the day and I'm fatigued, and it's hard for me to push through, you're the only one who understands what it's like for me in that moment, and you feel for me. When my spirit is dry, and I don't have any motivation, you know how hard it is to function when I feel that way, and it moves your heart. Help me remember and feel your compassion today each time I have some hardship or some painful memory. You are touched by the feeling of my infirmities. I don't have a high priest who is incapable of sympathizing with me at the points where I'm weak. When I'm treated unfairly and have no power to do anything about it, that roils your heart like it does mine. When something bothers me that really shouldn't bother me, nobody feels sorry for me, except you. You have had mercy on me, O oh God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, you blotted out my transgressions. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. And as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my transgressions from me. As a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on those who fear you. For you know how I am formed. You remember that I am dust. You provide food for those who fear you because of your compassion. You remember your covenant forever. You have shown your people the power of your works, giving us gift after gift after gift. You are gracious and righteous, full of compassion. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Thank you for listening. 
If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.